All right. I think that's all of the things. Now, this is our very last, right, until next summer, our very last Psalms song, and it's a lively one, so sit back and enjoy. you dare look back just keep your eyes on me i said you're holding back she said shut up and dance with me this woman is my destiny she said Victims of the night, the chemical, physical kryptonite, helpless to the base and the faded light. Oh, we were bound to get together, bound to get together. She took my arm. I don't know how it happened. We took the floor and she said, Oh, don't you dare look back. Just keep your eyes on me. I said, You're holding back. She said, Shut up. With me, this woman is my destiny. She said, Shut up and dance with me. A backless dress and some beat up sneaks. My discotheque, Juliet, teenage dream. I felt it in my chest as she looked at me. I knew we were bound to be together, bound to be together. She took my arm. I don't know how it happened, we took the floor and she said, oh don't you dare look back, just keep your eyes on me, I said you're holding back, she said shut up and dance with me, this woman is my destiny, she said, And I want to encourage you to either turn there or open up your, uh, your implement and go there. And uh, let's look and see what it says there. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a big dancer. 
uh, because I'm always afraid that I'm doing something wrong. That's just, that's the only reason. I'm afraid somebody will make fun of me, critique me, whatever that is. And, and as a matter of fact, one of my all-time favorite movie quotes ever in my life comes out of a movie called Wild Hogs. Okay, if you're not familiar with that, um, I rode a motorcycle for 40 years, my wife and I, and so, you know, that became my, you know, go-to movie. But there's a place there where a guy named Dudley, who's kind of the geeky, nerdy guy, um, he just, they, they tell him, go out and dance with that girl. And he goes, I can't dance. And he says, they said, everybody can dance. And he goes, the music moves me, but the music moves me ugly. And so he will not go out there. And of course, he ends up going out there and the music moves him ugly. There's just no doubt about it. And, and it's always um, hilarious and fun. Um, my wife would love for me to stay at your weddings um, that I've done. And, and I'm always just like, yeah, they're getting to the dancing part. It's time to go. We got we to gotta get out of here. They're going to dance, and then you're going to want to dance, and then you're going to make me dance, and I'm going to dance ugly. And so um, I, I'm not one to stay overly because I keep hearing Dudley in my head uh, when, when that time comes. So uh, there comes a time in your life, however, when you just have to stop and say, this is a dancing time. This is just a dancing time. If there's ever music that actually does move me, it tends to be worship music. It, it really does. That's the music that I listen to um, where I just can't hardly sit still. And that's why my wife and I, when she is sharing with you and she says, well, you know, we don't always do our devotional times together because he does his out loud and is a little obnoxious and I do mine quietly and reverently the way God meant it to be. And that's okay. That's okay. We're worshiping the same God and, and that's all right. But I want to take you to Psalm 139. And what I want to talk to you about is, have you ever had somebody in your life that was just, you felt like the only reason that they were there was to tell you, yeah yeah, you look nice, but you don't look nice enough. Or, wow, did you put that together? Because I don't think that shirt goes with those pants. Or, hey, that's a really nice truck. It's a stupid color truck. But other than that, I mean, but if you like that color, it's okay. You know, you know how they are, right? It's, it's like they feel overtly free to tell you their opinion. And, and, and often we will say they feel really free to critique you. They always want to give a criticism. To me, a critique is something where somebody might say, hey, wow, have you ever thought about this? And you leave, a, you walk away and you feel creative in your head. You know, you're like, oh, I know it. I could, I could incorporate that next time and I could do this and that would be awesome. A criticism is the, well, that was okay, but it wasn't as good as that other person that does it. And, and you walk away feeling like, wow, you're not good enough, you're less than, why keep doing this thing? And so I want to take you there because, you know, when, when it comes to um, the, the writer of the Psalms, and, and you know, I, in my head, you know, everything is David, but it's not. It's Moses and Asaph and Asaph's kids and things like that. But it's Psalm 149, there's uh, nine verses, and, and this is what it says in these nine verses. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. Uh, his, excuse me, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. It's like, what? With dancing? Praise his name with dancing. 
and make music to him with tambourine and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Let the saints rejoice in, uh, in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of the Lord their God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance upon the nations and punishment on the people, to bind their kings with fetters or their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence against them. Um, this is the glory of all his saints. And, and he's talking about Israel becoming a nation and and being able to stand up against the nations that are around them. But I was looking at that, you know, um, the, the, the scripture um, in, in Psalm 149 is broken up two ways. The first half of it is the present joy that Israel was living in, and the second half of it was the hope of the joy that was to come. That's what that, that, that writing is about. But, but I really appreciate, as I read down through, the manner in which we are called to praise the Lord. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. And I know that, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, there was the worship battles. Do we sing hymns? Do we sing praise and worship songs? I was in one this past week with, with a friend of mine that we could, we could go at it a little bit. And it was like, oh, we just need to do hymns again. That's what's wrong with the church. We just need hymns. And it's like, I just want you to know, I've studied enough of the hymns to know that that's not the problem. Okay? There are some hymns out there that are outstanding, and I will tell you right now, I have a number of collections of a cappella groups doing hymns that I love, whether it's Bill Great Gaither's groups or all the groups, Harvest and some of those. I love to hear quartet-type music. I, I, I absolutely love it. And there are some hymn, hymns that are out there that I absolutely love. But there are a vast majority that are, we're going to sing about a, a, our little prayer wheel, a little wheel in a wheel, and once you know and it's like you're not you're singing about prayer you're not singing about god you mentioned that god answers prayer somewhere in there but see when we do music here we want to sing music that is like jesus is physically in the room that's the goal of our worship it's like we're not worshiping a god that is up in space somewhere sitting on a throne like 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 in the in the marvel comic books and you know and 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 there's what's his name up there on that throne just floating around in the stars. That's not God. The scripture says, where can we go to be separated from God? If we go to the highest heights, he's there. If we go to the lowest depths, he's there. So the fact of the matter is, when we worship, we should be worshiping like he's in the room, which is why we do the music that we do, except for the psalm songs part, is why we do the music that we do. We try to do it as first person. And just for the record, it says right here, Sing to the Lord a new song. Not the same old song, same old song, same old song, same old song. It's like we should continually be writing new music to the Lord. And listen to me, and still visiting the classic hymns. Still. It's not one or the other. It can be both and. But we look at the manner in which God is inviting people to praise him, and it's like with new songs, together in the assembly. I know there are reasons that some of you are out there um, and, and you're not here physically in a building or at your church in a, in a physical building. I get that. But some of you, it's just too easy for you to, to roll over and go back to sleep and then watch this later. That is not what God has called you to, you to do. And it's not what Jesus said he was going to do. And I will challenge you if it's convenience 
Well, be, you don't understand, Pastor Joe. I, I just don't want to get up. I don't want to do it. If all you've got is excuses, I want to challenge you that the Scripture says, sing to the Lord a new song in the great assembly, not from your couch, not from your bed. I will sing in my car. My wife will testify. The other day, we went out to dinner somewhere. We were standing, waiting on the lady to, to seat us, and she bumped me and said, you're singing again. And it's like, I'm not even aware of it at this point in my life. I just want to sing. And, and I don't mean like on a stage anywhere. My heart is normally just glad. And so we want to sing to the Lord a new song. We want to rejoice in God. Um, we want to be glad that he's our king. And, and then it gets to that place where it says, praise him with dancing. I heard a pastor say that one time the worship director came to him and um, there were some people that wanted to dance to the Lord. And, uh, and he, they, they asked him if they could do that. And he said, sure, yeah, sure. You know, it, it was a, a flag ministry or something like that. Some of you are familiar with those from different um, um, expressions of faith. Um, and it was in church. And they said, well, um, can we wear, and he just in his head said, just wear whatever you want. It didn't go well for Sunday morning. Not so good. Okay? It would have been great in another setting. It's like bathing suits are awesome, except for not for Sunday morning. We don't wear them. You know, we're not here to say bathing suits are awful. We're here to say bathing suits are for the pool, the beach, the, you know, all those things. Right? And so that poor pastor um, had a meeting with the elders. Actually, the elders had a meeting with him. It wasn't me. Um, had a, a meeting with the elders afterwards. But here's the deal. It says, praise the Lord with dancing. And don't you ever feel like you want to dance? Were you so grounded in religion when you met Jesus that you were like, no, this is how we do. And I'm sure you've all seen the thing. It's like, well, you know, and then and when you feel a little bit of the Holy Spirit, you just kind of, you know, start doing something like this. And then there's that little poster that goes all the way through until you're a heretic and you're holding your hands up. And, and you maybe you're even like swinging yourself and, you know, it's okay, I won't break anything. They're all iron, okay, or, or titanium. But anyway, and we're holding our hands up and we're like, we're like, what's he doing over there? It's like, he's getting filled with the Holy Ghost. So, you know, it's going to get crazy in here next. It's like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. It's going to be all right. It is okay for us to dance before the Lord. And then it goes on. So we've got this command that we're to praise God. We're to write new music to God. We're encouraged to rejoice in God. And then God says, sing to him. He says, dance to him. You know, I know there's, a, there's, there's different groups of people out there that express their faith. And they're like, we're not going to use any instruments of the devil or of King David. We're not going to do that. And I know where the verse is, but it also says, don't lay on couches. Okay? But you have a couch in your living room, I bet. And it's like, yeah, see, so we pick it. No, no, no. Timbrels, instruments, harps. Um, in, in Psalm uh, 150, I think it says, the big cymbals. Make lots of noise to God, it says. And then sing, always sing, even on your bed. He's calling us to a lifestyle of praise. And I began to think about that. And it's the kind of lifestyle that erupts in new music where you just have to write some poetry. And I know everybody doesn't like to write poetry. I do, it, it, it thrills me um, to do that, but, but it, it, it just erupts when we do that. And so I began to think about dancing, and it's like, yeah, I like to dance. I like, I mean, I'm not saying I'm gonna get up here and lead you in a dance, I'm just saying, 
I don't have any problem with people dancing in the presence of God and say, hey, what about this? So I began to think about, where does dance play in our world? Well, and I looked up something called the big dance. You know what the big dance is? You know what the big dance is? Sure you do. It's the, uh, the, the final Australian uh, real football tournament in Australia. You're like, no, it's not. I know what some of you are thinking right now. No, it is not. It's the NCAA. I know, I know. But I, I, think, I think the term the big dance actually is preceded in, or precedes the NCAA in Australia. I think that's where the phrase was used. I could be wrong. And, and I'll be happy to have you tell me that, but in my notes, I, I actually have NCAA men's tournament. Okay, just, just so you know, okay? The big dance is a commonly used synonym for the NCAA men's basketball tournament, even more commonly known as March Madness. The big dance comes from a Marquette basketball coach, according to them, Al McGuire, who explained to a reporter in 1977 that you gotta wear the blue blazer when you go to the big dance. Marquette won the championship that year, so everyone started calling the tournament the big dance, okay? The other article I read said, Australian final tournament game of, of soccer for that season. And it's like, oh, wow, uh, what about that? So when somebody says a big dance, we always think big blue, don't we? Yeah, that, that's where we are, okay? Yes, we do, okay? That's the way it's going to be. That man is out of the shrine. Okay, um, what about get in the dance? You ever heard somebody say get in the dance? Get in the dance. Let's get in the dance. That means be a part of what's going on, man. Get into it. Let's go. Or how about, okay, you want to? Let's dance. And you know when they say it like that, what's coming, right? You sit down and don't go outside, okay? Don't take it to the parking lot when they say that, okay? Because that means we're going to have a go. We're going to have a row. We're going to have a fight. That's what we're doing, okay? But all of these things have something in common. Every single one of them has something in common. And that's movement. I know it's crazy, but think about it for a second. Every time somebody says, big dance, dance, you want to dance, um, they're talking about m physically moving their bodies. Okay? It might be in, a, in basketball tournaments. It might be in fisticuffs, pugilism out on the parking lot. It might be that. Okay? It can be all of these things, like getting involved in what's going on. You know, when you're sitting there and you guys plan out and you're going to do this, that, and then somebody goes, all right, let's dance, right? That means let's get after it. Let's do this thing. And, and so we see that, and they have something in common. And I love this. It's about moving your physical being. And here's the deal that we often will end up in churches somewhere where it's like, hey, we don't do that here. And I get that. I, I get the orderly fashion and all of that kind of stuff, okay? But heart, soul, mind, and strength. Look at this in the book of Mark, chapter 12. The most important one, guy walks up to Jesus and says, tell me what's the most important commandment out there. The single most important. Remember, they didn't have a New Testament. They only had the old law. That's it. Okay? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one. Love the Lord your God. Okay, and remember, love is a verb. It's not a feeling, it's not an adjective. It's a verb. Serve, love, express yourself to the Lord your God with all of your heart, not a problem. Bow our heads, get emotionally involved. With all of your soul, set your affections on things above, set your eternity on things above. All of your mind, what do you want me to do now, Jesus, in this place? Someone did it. All your strength, 
we're not going to do that. We don't do that here, Lord. Thank you very much. You see how we clip these verses? Because that scripture just said to get your physical being involved in loving God. Now, yes, there are ways. Worship looks like a, a lot of things. Worship looks like singing. But worship, according to Psalm 149 and 150, looks like dancing. But guess what? Worship looks like shoveling mud out of people's houses. Worship, worship looks like bringing water to people that are about to find them in desperate need because they've got too much water that's not contained where it belongs. See? Worship is when you're willing to sit down with somebody and just chill, maybe talk, maybe don't talk because they're going through a tough time. But there's something referred to as the ministry of presence. And sometimes people just need to not be alone. They don't want anybody to say anything. So there's a lot of ways that we can worship, but we certainly can worship through movement. A lot of times when we feel like we're being moved by the Spirit, there are critics immediately there. I know I was a critic as a young Christian young man. I was, I, I, I've told people before, I think it was the Salem Church of God or something like that in downtown Dayton, Ohio. We went and saw the Com, uh, Carmen concert. If you know who he is, then you're really old like me, okay? And it's okay, be proud. But we were there, and there was a guy down in the front row while, while Carmen was up there singing his heart out to Jesus. And this guy was just doing this, you know, like, the worship leader this morning. I don't know where she gets it, but she was doing this and he was doing that. And I remember being with some very staunch spiritual people that were way more spiritual than anybody else in the room. And I said in my heart, Lord, put a seatbelt on that guy. He needs to pay attention to what Carmen is saying. And the Lord just very quietly whispered back to me and said, which one of the two of you is worshiping? Just out of curiosity. And I said, it's the guy dancing that's worshiping, not the guy up here critiquing people's dancing. And I became very aware of that. And it's like, wow. It's like, what about that? Look at this, this, this story out of the life of King David. King David is in a situation where the Ark of the Covenant had been captured by some heathens, some pagans even. It was terrible. And um, people started dying, and then pretty soon the, the ark was bought, brought about halfway back, and then whoever's house it was put in, and I didn't want to memorize that part, but whoever's house it was put in, I mean, good things started happening. So at that point, King David was like, okay, we can bring the ark all the way back into Jerusalem. And so he commissions all the people. It has to be done the way God wants it done. It has to be carried the way God wants it to be carried because the presence of God is on the ark. And so they're carrying it and they're bringing it. And all of a sudden, David can't stand himself any longer. And he starts ripping his clothes off and throwing them on the ground. And all he's got on is his long johns or his long underwears or his Lulu lemons you know yoga pants or whatever it was he had because he needed to be able to move and he's dancing and he's dancing and that's where we are and look at this as the ark of the lord was entering the city of david that means jerusalem okay uh excuse me it means uh, um, um boy now i'm gonna tell you it could be bethel just ahead of you know i mean it was like whoa okay city of david let's just go ahead. michael the daughter of saul watched from the window and when she saw king david leaping and dancing before the lord she despised him in her heart she began to really look down on him we're going into jerusalem and she's just despising him 
They brought the ark of the Lord in and set it in this place inside the tent. David had pitched for it, and David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to every person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. And when David returned to his home to bless his household. So David comes home to bless his his wife and his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him, that's his wife, because he killed Goliath, okay, and said, um, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. And in your head, you might be saying, oh, how the king of Israel, and I don't think that's what she's saying. I think what she's saying is, oh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Would you just look at you, David? And she goes on. <clears throat> she says, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants and any as any vulgar fellow would. That would let us know that he stripped himself down far enough that he was considered half naked. Now, I'm not suggesting that for a Sunday morning in here, so please don't you know, be thinking that way. I'm just saying that this man needed to dance. And I love the way he answers her. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you speak of, I will be held in honor for being a king that was so passionate in his love for God that he needed to dance. And, the Michael, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. You know, there's a place in there where we begin to mock God that we, we tread on ground that we don't want to walk on. And we need to be really careful of that. And in my own life, I believe that's what God was saying when I began to say, that's not God, make that guy sit down. And the Lord was saying, hey, you're walking on dangerous ground, Joe. Be careful. Be careful. And so we look at this story, and we see that it looks like David stripped himself down you know, and kind of donned an ephod that normally the priests would wear. And then in the, in the uh, commentaries, it likens to something that children or women would wear. So maybe a sleeve of some sort that was just common material, light, uh, and he allowed him to move just a little bit better. But that's where he was. You know somebody who criticizes people who are dancing? People who aren't dancing. Fuddy-duddies. If you know what that means, you're approaching my age as well. If you don't know that mean, what that means, ask your grandma. Okay? <laughs> Just that's where we are. Fuddy-duddies. People that don't like to have any fun. People are so afraid to have fun because it'll embarrass them that people will make fun of them so they won't have fun. They won't take the shot. I want to talk about criticism for the next couple of minutes. Criticism is an easy form of anthropological ego defense. 
Believe it or not, I did not read that somewhere. I sat down and was just thinking about my own issues. <laughs> and I wrote down, criticism is an easy form of anthropological ego defense. Meaning that I am defending my ego against, at times, what God is doing and against my own desire to get outside my skin and have fun. It's a perceived self-preservation. Sometimes people lash out at people doing something because they can't physically do that thing. And so they lash out at them. Sometimes they lash out because they have low self-esteem in their own ability to do something. And so if it's not happening for me, there must be something about me. I'm a worm. And they become a person who criticizes and criticizes because nobody's ever built them up and built them up. Okay? And so we look at this in this story. It, it would kind of appear that that's like what Michael was, was actually seeing because God had, in fact, taken David and anointed him king, and her father used to be the king. And so she really didn't want to be married to David. If you read further down the line, she ends up getting married to some other guy when David's running away and things like that. And so um, she clearly was not looking forward to marrying this little shepherd boy who became the king. And so instead, she begins to humiliate, mock, and criticize him. Can you relate to that? You're trying to do something. You know how it is? You're sitting at the basketball game, and you're up in the stands, and everybody in the stands is a coach. And all they want to do is tell the coach on the floor what it is that he's doing wrong because he clearly does not know what he's doing, and it needs to stop. Shall we get a little more personal with people in the room? You ever been there where they're blistering a ref? Huh? They're blistering a ref. Like they could get down there and make those calls in front of all those parents and they could handle the criticism that comes from the stands. Just of their ability to referee whatever particular game it is. It's always the people that aren't doing it that feel the greatest freedom to attack or to criticize people. And I want to encourage you to be aware of that. When you see that or when you begin to experience that, more often than not, what it is is somebody who feels less than inside. They're hurting. They're broken. Not been loved, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call that. Okay? Criticism, the second thing I want to share with you is criticism can be an expression of a need to be constantly in control. Okay. That's something I've been aware of in my own life all the time. There's a reason for that, self-protection, feeling like nobody was there to take care of me, so I needed to protect myself. I feel safest when I'm in control because I know what's coming. That's a lie uh, because you never know what's coming, and you are never in control. It's an illusion, and I'll quote that movie some other time, but it's an illusion, all right? It's an oversimplification to actually attempt to define the, the thing that um, criticism is or the control issue. But it's that whole persona of, I need to take care of me. And so one method of doing that is to be in control, okay? But it actually turns people away from them. Um, the third thing that I was thinking about criticism, it's often the tool of people living in fear. They're afraid, they're afraid to dance. They're afraid to get outside themselves. They're afraid to try. It's difficult. 
This too is something that needs to be unpacked, I think, by a professional, but um, historical hurt can be real or imagined, but it creates a filter that we use to see the world through, and then we begin to criticize the world. When we wish we could do something, and we see somebody else doing it, but that risk scares us to death, and we say, then I'm not going to do it, we sit on the sidelines and we criticize the people doing it. It's kind of simple that way. Check this out. Somebody gets a new job. Well, they probably don't know. It's a whoa, 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 whoa. Kind of evidence that maybe in our hearts we would like to have a new job or we would like to be the person getting the new job. Going back to college, that's too risky. Can't do it. Not at this age. Getting married, scared to death, got burned once, don't trust love. I could get burned again. You don't understand, Joe. I get it. But there's a place there where we're living in fear. Um, Go on an expensive vacation away from central Kentucky, away from central United States, away from the United States. We get to that place where it's, oh, I could never do that. You could, and oftentimes people that say I could never do that are people that want to try really bad, but they're scared to do it. They've got a list of all the things that could go wrong, but statistically speaking, 97% of the time, those things never happen to the average person. But those are the things that keep us from doing it, and a lot of times it's criticism. But we criticize people who are doing it because we fear trying and failing. Rich people are criminals. Happily happily married people got lucky. See how we do it? That's where our criticisms show up. Successful people are callous and compassionate on social issues. Um, bosses are greedy and don't care about their employees. And everyone else is to blame for my situation. See, criticism is often the tool of people living in fear. And I say that not to point my finger at people, but to be able to stop and say, I should have compassion for people that are afraid to do that. I love to scuba dive when I have the opportunity. And people will say, oh, I can't do that. I would never do that. And it's like, okay, well, you want me to tell you what's going to happen? You're going to die. You should really rethink that at your age. You should. And it's like, whoa, 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 no criticism needed here. Just stay on the boat. I'm good with that. That's okay. But it's like I told somebody the other day, my goal in life is to squeeze every moment I can out of the, the moments that God has given me. I want to live the life and not die saying, I wished I would have But how do I deal with criticism? Just going to go down through the way that I deal with this and just invite you to think, can this fit me as a human being? Okay? When I feel like I'm being criticized, the first thing that I really do is not throw a tantrum and lay on the floor and cry. That's about the fourth thing. That's usually when my wife shows up and says, get over yourself. (laughs) Okay? If I feel like I've been given a criticism, the first thing I do is sit down and I ask myself, Is it true? Everything I do is not right. I am not, I'm going to say this right here in a desire of revival in our church, I am not without sin. I wish I was. I'm not. I try. That's why I tell you, I'm 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 going to scream in your ear as long as you're here, get back up. Because I believe that's our mission. Can I live without sin? I wished. Do I? I struggle sometimes as a human being. 
Sometimes it's my attitude, sometimes it's other things. My goal is to constantly get back up, not excuse my sin, not say all sin's the same, so God sees it, I'm not going there, we'll talk about that later. My goal is to say, God, I've sinned, please forgive me and get back up and teach other people to do that. That's my goal, okay? But the first thing I ask myself is, is the criticism true? It is okay to hear somebody out that disagrees with something you've said, did, done, whatever. It, it's okay to hear them, okay? The past season of my life has been one of those things that I have been so hard on myself. And let's be honest, I'm not looking for your pity. Which one of us hasn't had somebody come in and needed to sit down and talk to us? Okay? But I have to ask myself, is it true? And if it's true, I wrestle with it. The next thing I ask is, is it, is it constructive? When somebody feels the freedom to say whatever it is they're going to say, is it constructive? There's a criticism that is designed to help, and then there's a criticism that we know is designed to hurt. Critique is designed to help. That's the criticism where they're trying to help you grow and become more. And then there's a criticism that people will say is designed to help you, but really they just want to hurt you and make you stay in your place because of the things that I was sharing about how they feel about themselves. Okay? Just because somebody offends you doesn't mean you have to carry the offense. Is it true? Is it constructive? If it's one but not the other, you don't have to carry it. If it's both and, you still don't have to carry it. If it's true and it's constructive, you have the opportunity to grow. And it's worth growing and thinking about and processing. And the last thing is, do I trust and see an example in the person sharing it with me that I would like to assimilate? In other words, do I trust the person talking to me? If somebody comes to me and says, Joe, this... Does that person have a relationship with you and with Christ that makes you say to yourself, no, I can trust them. I want to be like them to some degree. Whether it's my marriage, whether it's my job, whether it's my relationship to Jesus, um, whatever that might be, there comes a time when we have to say, is this a person that cares for me, loves me, and wants to stay in a relationship with me as a result of what's going on? We are the ones who decide if other people are going to be the reasons we do or don't do things in our lives. We're going to decide. And I think in, in my own personal life, it's kind of in that criteria. A criteria. Is what they're saying true? I want to grow. That means I'm going to change. Is what they're saying constructive? Are they trying to help me? And then finally, is this a person who I esteem? And therefore, I want to, I want to hear what they have to say. It's no surprise that pastors live in glass houses under magnifying glasses, and honestly, it can become very, very, very tiring. But in a congregation, last week there was 364 people here. Which one do you pick? <laughs> because that's 364 different opinions of how you should live your life. I've heard people say, Pastor Joe, it's Sunday, and you still have laundry out on the line. I can't believe you did that cannot believe you're the pastor we thought more of you i mean they gave me the grill and it wasn't in fun 
because the laundry was still on the line, and apparently that meant the Lord was working on drying my laundry, which was already dry, because in Oklahoma it takes about 10 minutes um, in that wind and that heat. But it was like, you got to be kidding. One time somebody needed to share with me that my sprinkler was still running. Mind you, I was on a well, and so, you know, the water was there, but I wanted my grass green. But it was Sunday morning, and the sprinkler was running. We've had people say, we expect to, uh, to take our kids into side rooms and say, we expect more from you. You're the pastor's children. I didn't hear that until they were in their 30s. And that was the Holy Spirit keeping me from going to prison. <laughs> it really was. Because I made it clear when I went there, my kids will be kids. Don't expect more from them other than the fact that I'm going to raise them in the presence of Jesus all the days of their lives. See? The question is, is it true? Is it real? Is it constructive? I mean, is it true? Is it constructive? Is it meant to help? And do I trust the person saying it? I had an employee quit one time because I bought a Hummer. Really? I said, what? why? It's a truck. And they said, no, it's not a truck. It's an emblem of inner city, this, that, and the other thing. I said, really? It's a truck that will hold my dogs. <laughs> they said, nope, we can't go to church here anymore. It's like, wow. How many voices, how many voices are you listening to? I know I said this last week. But how many voices are you listening to? Because right now in your life, I believe the music is playing. We're all chasing the same God. We are all called to live different lives. In our humanity, we will make different decisions. But we are all invited to dance. To dance. To move even just a little bit. To enjoy what's going on and be a part of it. And so I want to encourage you, listen to the critics or shut up and dance. Don't like the phrase shut up, but I like the song. <laughs> I'm never going to embrace the life that God meant for me to have. And as a result, I'm going to be bitter and I'm going to express it. I'm going to live my life based on what other people think. My wife once told me, she said, you know, women don't dress up for men. Women dress up for other women. I said, well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. That can't possibly be true. Then I had two more women that grew up in my household, and it became very true. <laughs> it's like, not them personally, but I began to see, yes, there's some of that. Are you living to please everybody around you, which is going to get exhausting? Or are you just trying to dance in the presence of God and experience the life that he has for you in its morality, in its truth, but in its joy. And I wonder, who do you feel is stealing your desire to dance? And these people are going to be up here because we're going to pray now, but these people are up here because this is what I would like to do. I would like for you, if it's, if it's a thing, a situation, circumstance that you've been through historically, or if it's a person in your life and you don't have to name them. But I want you to set them free this morning. I want you to set free the Michaels in your life that are telling you to stop dancing. You're not good enough. Quit it. You're humiliating yourself and you don't understand it while you're trying to live the life that God has marked out for you.
And that's what I want these people to pray with you about. And if you've got something else you would like prayer for, you can ask. Please, just come up here and ask for prayer. But let's be aware of that. And let's don't forget the vast majority of eastern Kentucky. Certainly. It's been in your face. It's been on your social media. You're very aware of it. Um, I would like to encourage you to bring water into the church. We'll be back tomorrow. The staff will be here. I would like for you to consider bringing in gas cards. I've been in touch with a number of different people who I respect in, in uh, um, Breathitt County, Perry County, in that area. I've also been in touch with somebody that's headed down to Panko, Kentucky, um, sharing with me the story down there. Um, but one of the things that they need is gas cards. They are trying to keep their generators running, to keep their house, to have some sort of normalcy, keep their freezers frozen, to be, just be able to live. And, and I said, you have access to gasoline? And they said, yes, we, we still do. Shell, BP, and Marathon. And so if you wanted to get five, 10, 15, $20 gas cards and bring them in, we're gonna to try to take them down to these locations this coming week. We've got a company that has called and said, hey, we can donate a, a pallet load of water. That's uh, 48 cases of water, about 2,000 pounds worth, plus what's coming in already. And so we're gonna to try to do that just as a preemptive thing. People need water. There's too much water down there out of its boundaries, but they need clean water. And beyond that, Things need to settle down a little bit, and then they're going to be looking for opportunities for us to be involved again. Long term, not short term. And so I want to encourage you to consider that as well. Two different things. But anyway, <clears throat> we want to wrap this up, and, and these people want to pray for you, and we want God's blessing on you, and we don't want you dealing with the criticisms in your life. We want you to grow through the critiques. Let's, let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father, who is God in heaven, we want to thank you for today. God, we know that there are voices in our, our lives that are telling us um, that we should sit down and shut up, that we should not enjoy it, we should not embrace it, we should not walk in it, we should not live in it. But God, you have called us to get up and dance. And David, who's a man after your own heart, and he wasn't perfect, and goodness, don't we know that, Lord. But boy, he just got caught up in your Holy Spirit. And Father, he was not afraid to dance because of the joy inside of him in his relationship to you. And I pray that that is something that we can begin to understand here. What it means for us to dance in the presence of God. Father, in our broken hearts, we, we are aware of family member, friends, grandparents, whatever it might be that are in some of these storm-ravaged areas, God, and just, just some of the stories coming out of eastern Kentucky, God, and, and even beyond, but this is where our, our, our awareness is. And we just ask and pray, God, give us a vision. Give me an idea. Give me understanding. Give me the people. Who can we take to? And what can it mean for us to sacrifice the way Paul did when when that area of the world was suffering a drought and people in Jerusalem were struggling and, and all of those other churches poured into their area to provide for them. How do we provide for your children and those that you're calling and reaching out to, God? Teach us how to be servants. Teach us how to give. Teach us how to sacrifice. Teach us how to do. Teach us how to go. Teach us where. We only want to do what we see you doing, God bring love and hope to people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to come up to your feet. If there is something that you would like to leave here in church today, some person, some thorn, some circumstances, by all means give God a chance to bring healing to your life during this song.